We praise your name, O Lord, our God. It is so good to start our week off with just a focus, putting all of our attention on you. We praise you for a God who cares for us, that we can cast all of our anxieties upon you because you care for us. We praise you for creating the heavens and the earth and all that it contains. Everything that we have has been given to us by you. And we worship you this morning. And as we open our Bibles, would you speak to our hearts and our minds and teach us how to worship this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a seat. If you would, get your Bibles out. And we're going to start off with a little bit of a contest this morning. All right? I have to explain the rules to you because we're going to talk about famous kisses. Okay? Famous kisses in cinematic history. And here's how it's going to go. I'm going to uh, press the button here and you'll see a, a, a picture. And these pictures are in chronological order. And if you know, just by looking at the picture, and I'll ask you if you think you know what the, the movie is, then we'll, we'll find a, have you answer that. If you know the movie, that's one point. I will then press the slide button again, and then you will see the uh, year the movie came out and the, the two actor and actresses, you know, actor actress in the, in the scene, okay? So if you know the name of the movie, the year it came out, and the actor and actress, that's three points, all right? So if you only know the, the movie but don't know anything else, there's only one point. And you will keep score, and we'll see who gets there. There's 12 of these, so the maximum you can get would be... 36, 36, yep. See, I was a minor Sam when I took this job, there would be no math, so. All right, you guys ready? They're going in chronological order. These are famous kisses from cinematic history, all right? First one here. All right, what was the first thing you did? What's the name of the movie? Who, knows, who knew that? Raise your hand, give yourself some points, okay? What year? Anybody? 45, 48. And who are the, the, who is the actor and actress? Casablanca, 1942. Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman. Okay. So who got one point? Raise your hand, you got one point. Anyone get two points? Anyone get three? You got them all? Very good. All right. Next one. It's a Wonderful Life. Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. In what year? Nineteen forty-six. James Stewart and Donna Reed. Who got? Anyone get three points in that one? Anybody? You got it. So you get six points, Dave. You haven't seen everything. You haven't seen the stuff beforehand, right? Okay, good. So Dave is smoking everybody. It's only going to be easy for Dave as we go up in time. All right. All right. Next one. 
So the Godfather, right? Godfather, right? Wrong. Say it. Godfather part two. Come on, guys. Jeez. Okay, what year? Obviously, you don't need to get the actor here. Who's the actor? Al Pacino. Okay, 1974. I knew it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. Remember that? Yep. All right. Okay. <laughs> oh, now we're getting to our generation, right? What's the movie? No, it's not Star Wars. Empire Strikes Back. Thank you. The one smart person in this place. Okay, the actor and actress. And what year? Here we go. What year? 78? 79? 1980. All right. So how are we doing here? David, how many points you got? So what's your total? This would be right here. Be what? These four, right? Or fourth one? Yeah, one. Two, three, and four. Yeah, eight points. Anyone beating him? Anybody? No? All right. All right, you ready? Next one. Uh, yeah, if you get these, if you get the actor, Back to the Future. What year? Eighty-six, eighty-four, eighty-five, eighty-nine. Okay, who are the uh, who is the actor? You know this guy's name? It's Crispin Glover. For some reason, I remembered his name because he didn't make it to the next movies because he was difficult to work with. And the actress, Leah Thompson. Right, nineteen eighty-five, guys. Back to the Future. Crispin Glover and Leah Thompson. Or Leia Thompson, however you want to say it. All right. Did you get all three of those, Dave? Okay, you're keeping score? Everyone keeping score? All right, next one. So again, we're going chronologically. Francis Bride, what year? 1987. And the actor and actress. You have no idea, Matt? Robin Wright, and no one ever remembers his name. Yes, Carrie Ells. There we go, 1987. The Princess Bride. Okay. All right. You got all those, right, Dave? No? You got one of them right. All right. Next one. When Harry met Sally, what year? 93. And who's the actor and actress? Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan, 1989. When Harry met Sally. All right. 
I'm going through all these. Obviously, I wasn't born for like, I was born in 69, so I, I, and I've watched The Godfather. I mean, who hasn't? But like, I'm feeling old as I'm going through all these. I'm like, I know these. So, all right, ready? Ghost. Oh, you guys all knew that one. Jeez. Ghost. Do you know that, Elise? 1984, what? It's going to chronologically, so it's got to be 1989 or beyond. 91? Who's the actor and actress? Demi Moore, Patrick Swayze. Here we go. 1990. Ghost. Okay. So, how are we doing? What's your point total? Anybody other than Dave? You got what, seven? Or you got 10, 11, Dave? Okay. You got eight? Good. They're catching up to you, Dave. What year? And the actor and actress. Leonardo DiCaprio and who? Kate Winslet, yep, 1997. I remember reading a story of a, of, a, of a father and daughter that saw it like every day for like I don't know how long. Some ridiculous amount of time that they, you know, were doing all that. So, all right. Ready? A couple more. <laughs> Toby McGuire and Christian Dunst, Spider Man. Thank you. You got Spider Man 2. Okay? It was, was Spider Man 1, right? Spider Man, right? 2002, Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst. I remember taking a neighbor across the street when we lived in Bowling Green, Ohio, to that movie. I remember that. Remember Mary's daughter, or son? Yep, took him to see that. Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst. Okay? I think it would hurt if I was Tobey Maguire hanging upside down like that. Yeah. Uh, next one. The Notebook. Yep, The Notebook. Ryan Gosling, who else? In what year? Rachel McAdams, 2004. Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams, The Notebook. Who's seen that movie? Anybody? Oh. It's a really popular movie, apparently, so... Little FYI, little cinema uh, buffy, uh, little note here. They did not get along at all during this making this movie. What? At the point in time, yeah, it was there was no chemistry there. So, last one. This, Captain America: The First Avenger, and who was the what year? 2011. And what was the act? Who's the actor and actress? Who's Captain America, Chase? Dave, who's Captain America? Chris Evans, exactly, Chris Evans. All right. Yeah. Haley Atwell, 2011. 
All right. So how do we do here? What's your uh, point total, Dave? Run 12? 14. Anybody else? Okay. <laughs> yeah, four. <laughs> yeah, four. Okay. Yes, we're dating ourselves. So we're going to talk about this morning what is worship. Okay? What does the Bible say about worship? Well, here's the thing the common New Testament word for worship, it's the word proskune. I think it's how you say it in the Greek. Do you know what it means? Nope, kind of, but not really. Actually, means to kiss toward. Hence, the famous kisses. So you remember this. Hopefully, that's all you'll get out of this. Probably is all these pictures of these famous kisses. But that's what worship is. It means to kiss toward. It came from the ancient custom of kissing the hand of a superior. So when I go home at every day from work, I do this. My wife kisses my hand, right? And then I wake up and it's a dream. Uh, okay. Because we're bad back, she can't bend down that low. So we stopped that a while ago. So, so yeah. But it's also used to convey the idea of bowing down or prostrating oneself. Do you know that in the ancient uh, Oriental, uh, like the Persian area, especially Persia, the motive of greeting between persons of equal rank, they would kiss each other on the cheek. But when one was much inferior... He fell upon his knees and touched his forehead to the ground or prostrated himself. And as he's bowing down, he would throw kisses toward the superior. That's what they did. So in a Christian context, we simply apply that to God, right? We bow our heads in prayer or we bow and, and close our eyes in respect and honor before God, paying him the glory due his superior character. That's, in essence, what worship is. And so we can simply define worship as honor paid to a superior being. In its simplest form, that's really what it means. But this next point, and this is what I really want you to get, other than, you know, that think of kissing and honoring, and that's worship, is this right here. And this may forever change your understanding of worship, and it is this. Worship is giving. Because when we think about worship, that's probably not what, we, what comes to our mind. But we are giving honor and respect to God. This is why Christians gather in a certain location on one day of a week to give back to God what he deserves. That's what we're doing here this morning. This idea of worship is completely opposite of the American Christian understanding of why we go to church. Yeah, we go to, to worship, Right? come to church to worship, but really our thinking is we worship to receive. We worship to receive. There's a sense of coming to church to be built up, Ephesians 4, yes, but the primary heart attitude is coming to church to worship to give. So it's not about receiving, it's about giving. Yeah, you'll come here, maybe you're built up and encouraged, that's good, but you should come here to give. Now, can you give with a divided or distracted heart? No. How many of you struggle with, like I do, from being 
distracted and divided and full of other things in life, right? And I come in here and I will sing songs and I will be here listening and whatnot and I'm not fully engaged. Well, that's not really worshiping. That's not giving to God. So what do we do to counteract that? You go right there at 8.30 next week or during the summer at 9.30 and what do you do until 10.15? You're praying. What are you doing in that prayer time? Preparing your heart to worship, to give to God. I will never forget, during the two years I was off, I visited this large church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And I went in there and there was this huge worship team of probably 15, 20, 30 people. And it was like probably at least 800 people in the, the service. And all I could hear while we were singing was the band up front. It ate our people all around me. I couldn't hear them. And I made a comment about a couple months later to a, the president of our denomination about going to that church. And says, they don't know how to worship. And he jumped in immediately and said, yes, I know that. I experienced that too there. There's no way 800 people should be drowned out by 30 singers with microphones. That's not worship. That's not worship. But this is why we must prepare our hearts to worship. The psalmist wrote it this way. The word ascribed means to give. Did you know that? So you can look at Psalm 92. It's really simple. 29. Ascribe or give to the Lord, O sons of the Almighty. Ascribe or give to the Lord glory and strength. Again, ascribe. Give to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. You are there to worship, to give to God what he deserves. Now, does he actually deserve or does he need anything from us? No, but he wants our worship. So let's talk about worship in the Old Testament. Get your Bibles out, turn to Exodus chapter 20. Genesis, Exodus. The verses are not up on the screen. But in the 20th chapter of Exodus... God lays out, and by the way, this is unambiguous manner. It is very, very clear cut. There's no questioning here. It's not difficult to understand or discern. Principles of worship, starting in verse 1 of chapter 20. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You should not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water underneath the earth. You should not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. It's straightforward, folks. It is simple. It is easy to understand. The first commandment is to worship God, God alone. And so, in case you don't get it, he doubles down in Exodus chapter 34, 14. God says this, For you shall not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. You worship God and God alone. That is who we worship. Now, worship is the first, notice it, it's the first commandment, and it immediately becomes the priority of man. 
In other words, this is what you are to order your life around. It's your worship. It's your priority. Now, the book of Exodus tells the story of the exodus of the Jews from the bondage of slavery to the Egyptians. And when God called out his people, he established in the midst of their life, do you remember this? A place to worship. It's called the tabernacle. You can find that beginning in Exodus 25. We're not going to go there. There's all kinds of instructions to build the place of worship. In fact, listen to this. It takes seven chapters in the Bible, a total of 243 verses, for God to give all the instructions that were to be a part of the tabernacle, the place of worship. Think about that. 243 verses to prepare the place of worship. Now consider this. God gives the whole creation narrative of the universe just 31 verses. 243 to 31. Do you think God is interested in our worship? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And the tabernacle itself was nothing more than an elaborate tent. It was not a stunning or magnificent piece of architecture. Because the reason for that is God is the focus, not the building. So here we have the tabernacle, the little drawing you find online. Okay, You might recognize this from any of your Sunday school programs, but obviously we have, what is this right here? That's the, the, the curtain that separates the most holy, holy of holies to the holy place. Okay, And that is what? Ark of the Covenant, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Remember that? The Ark of the Covenant. This is a cherubim over it. This is supposed to be the glory of God. Okay. Who could go in here? The priest. And he could go in here when, how many times? Once a year. Okay. Once a year. By the way, on top of the Ark of Covenant, you know what we call that? The mercy seat. It's the mercy seat. High priest once a year sprinkled blood as an atonement for the sins of the people. And of course, the mercy seat, on the mercy seat dwelt the Shekinah glory of God, the presence of God. And it was called the tabernacle because it was where the glory of God dwelt, a tabernacle. Now, notice in this picture, what do we notice here? Same thing, same concept. But what do we notice in this picture? What does it tell us? Well, this picture is of the camps consisting of the 12 tribes of Israel, named after the 12 sons of who? Of Jacob, right? He had 12 sons. They're camped all around the tabernacle. And what's in the center? The tabernacle, all around here. I can show you this camps here, camps here, camps here, camps here. All around the camps representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And what's in the center? The tabernacle. What was the tabernacle? The place where they worshipped. Okay? So the idea is simple. Their whole lives would be focused around what? Worship. The tabernacle. And it was the place of worship. In fact, in Exodus 25, 22, we read this. There I will meet with you. This is God saying. In this place right here. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment, 
for the sons of Israel. So if you wanted to meet God in the Old Testament time, where did you go? To the tabernacle, or, or later it was what? The temple. Okay? And that's where you go to meet God. Any questions so far? Pretty clear? Okay. Now God gave them a place to worship where they could meet God. Now, this is what I find interesting you think about this and study this a little bit. There are no seats in or around the tabernacle, are there? So you didn't go there for service or to have a meeting or to be entertained. What did you go there for? To worship. Exactly. Because worship was the priority. And again, people visit churches, every place I've pastored all around the country, and we always have people come and go, and church in the place of worship is viewed as a buffet line. Where you pick and choose. Well, I like this place because they have great teaching. I like this place because they have great worship. I like this place, we're going there because they've had a great children's ministry. They've completely missed the point. It's not about you. You come to worship to what? To give. Worship is giving. You're here to give. People went there in the Old Testament time to the tabernacle to worship. It was a priority, and God met his people there. Listen to this. In Numbers chapter 1, you can read how God laid out the people around the tabernacle. It's fascinating. Nearest to the tabernacle were the priests. Okay? So you would say that that would be, I, I would be closer to the tabernacle than any of you. All right? But now, of course, God has always built a kingdom of priests. Okay? Read that in the Old Testament. And it's why you are, all of us are now a royal priesthood. Okay? But in the Old Testament, the priests were the closest to the tabernacle. Just beyond the priests were who? The Levites. Okay? One of the 12 sons of Jacob. And the priests were in charge of worship. And the rest of the Levites were in charge of the care of the tabernacle. Okay? And on the outer ring came all the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? So once again, the whole focus of their existence was in regard to the matter of worship. Oh, how we live in such a different time, don't we? Watch this. We're not done. A soldier could begin serving in the military at the age of 20. In Numbers 1-3, just listen to this. It says this, From 20 years old and upward, whoever is able to go out to war in Israel, you and Aaron shall number them by their na- armies. Okay? So you were 20 years old, guess what? You can serve in the army. Okay? And that still roughly is true today, right? 18 to 20, you can serve in the military. A Levite could begin serving at the tabernacle at the age of 25. Numbers 8:24. This is what applies to the Levites. From 25 years old and upward, they shall enter to perform service in the work of the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. 
So 20 to go into the military, 25 to serve as a Levite. How old do you have to be to serve as a priest? 30 years old. In Numbers 4.3, from 30 years and upward, even to 50 years old, all who enter the service to do the work in the tent of meeting. So a soldier at 20, a Levite at 25, and a priest at 30. Well, well, why? Why those age distinctions? You ever wonder that? Well, because worship was a priority. See, and it demanded the highest level of spiritual maturity. There's a vast difference between a 20-year-old male and a 30-year-old male, or a 20-year-old woman and a 30-year-old woman. So what we have is three levels of service to God. The lowest level was a soldier. The next level was the Levites, who served their tabernacle, and the highest level for those who brought the people to worship God. But there's more. You ever think of the offerings that they would offer to God? the animal sacrifices and so on, they even point to the priority of worship. In Leviticus, God laid out the various offerings that people were to bring to him. There were sin offerings and trespass offerings, grain offerings, you know, fruit offerings, all of those and so on. But the first offering, anyone know what it was? The burnt offering. Now what makes this offering so unique? But when a Jew brought this, his offering to God, a sin offering or a grain offering, part of that offering would go on the altar and part would be eaten. Remember that? Be eaten. But with the burnt offering, every part of it was burned because it was totally given to the Lord. The priest and sinner didn't share in it. And the reason the burnt offering is put first is because the priority activity is always worship where all is offered to God. He's the priority. All is offered to him in worship. And isn't that the essence of worship? A singular devotion to God? Again, just listen to this. We see this in Numbers. In Numbers 12, 5 through 7, it says this. But you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord God will choose from all your tribes to establish his name, therefore his dwelling, and there you shall come. So they would go to the tabernacle, or after David, they would go to the temple. The temple was always supposed to be housed where? In Jerusalem. Okay? There you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contribution of your hand, your votive offerings, your free will offerings, and go on the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. There also you and your household shall eat before the Lord your God and rejoice in all your undertakings in which the Lord your God has blessed you. So you come to the place of worship where God has put his name, in this case the tabernacle or the temple, and what is the first thing that people are commanded to do? They offer the burnt offering, that which is totally given to the Lord. Then the other sacrifices, tithes, contributions, and so on. And then what do you do with that, those offerings? You participate, you eat them. Okay, you're fellowshipping. You rejoice in all that God has given you, and all you're undertaking, and all that God has blessed your undertaking. 
So come to the temple, come to the tabernacle in the Old Testament to worship, knowing that it all starts with a burnt offering dedicated solely to God. And that's what worship is. Now let's talk about the heart of worship. We all know that song, right? The heart of worship. With all this focus on worship, you can clearly see what is implied in our worship. And of course, that is what? It's the heart. What is the greatest commandment given to the people? It's in Deuteronomy 6. I, the Lord your God, am one. You shall what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? He says, these words I'm telling you, which I commend you today, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk to them while you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of the house and on your gates. So the life of an Israelite was bound up in a love for God. But eventually, what happened to the people and their love? It grew cold, and the worship became a lifeless, ritualistic obedience to commands devoid of a passionate love for God who had so generously blessed his people. And eventually, they led to them worshiping other gods. Isaiah writes of a certain judgment that would fall upon the people and that the prophets and seers would be blinded so they could not warn the people and call them to repentance. So this judgment was certain. In fact, even if the scroll could be read, it would not be so. Well, why? Well, this is what it says in Isaiah 29, starting in verse 11. For you, this whole vision is nothing but words sealed in a scroll. If you give the scroll to someone who can read and say to him, read this, please, he will answer, I can't, it is sealed. If you give the scroll to someone who cannot read and say, read this, please, he will answer, I I don't know how to read. The Lord says, these people, what? Come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Now, is that worship? No, it is not. Heartless worship, a going through the motions. In fact, even Amos records the words of God with the same message. Listen to this in Amos chapter 5, starting in verse 21. This is God speaking. I hate. I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, and I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. Well, why? What happened? Well, the people didn't seek God first. Amos 5, 4, and 6. Their hearts had strayed, They walked in unrighteousness. There was no justice in the land. They loved evil. They hated what was good. And what were they doing in the midst of all this unrighteous, evil, wicked living? 
They would come to worship God. They would offer offerings. They would hold solemn assemblies. It's what we would call today hypocritical worship. This is why I say, when you're coming in here, pray first. Prepare your heart so that you have a distracted, divided heart. Come to solely focus on God and giving to him. Because the people walked in unrighteousness, all kinds of unrighteousness, this eventually bled over into their worship. And what they did is what we do today. They went through the motions of worship. I can sing a song and my mind be way over here. I can be in an argument with somebody and have a hold a grudge and I will come here and I will raise my hands and sing and I will give my money and I'll be nice to the people that are nice to me. And where is your heart? Where is your heart? There's no heart behind that worship. And that worship, and it's not just here. Isaiah talks about it in Isaiah chapter 1. Malachi talks about it. The people would bring lame animals to God and offer it to him. He said, I don't want that. It shows a heart attitude that is not right before me. That type of worship, God hates. So what is worship? Worship is giving. When you think of kissing, what are you going to think of? Worship. Worship is a, a kiss toward. All those, those movie kisses we saw. Okay? So worship God with all your heart. All right? So we're going to close this morning with the song, The Heart of Worship. How appropriate, right? We'll finish up next week with the, what the New Testament, New Testament says about worship. And so what I want you to do this week is to worship God with all your heart. In other words, you need to do some self-examination. Make an effort, really make an effort, to prepare your heart when you come here to worship. Okay? Amen? Stand with me. We'll close this song. The heart of worship. And I have one more brief announcement, and then we'll go eat some food. Heavenly Father, as we close our, our Bibles and, and open our hearts and our eyes and our minds, all of ourselves to you. As I've said before, and I, I prayed before, I'll pray again. May we worship you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength this morning. Amen. Remember the history of this song, The Heart of Worship? Worship had become an idol in this church. The pastor went to, I think it was Matt Redman, I think he wrote this, and said, hey, we're not going to do any worship for a while because worship had become the focus and God wasn't the focus anymore. And that led Matt Rebin to write the song, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. So I call us today, come back to the heart of worship.